Praise the Lord Jesus. This is Thurman Scrivener again today with the Living Savior Ministries. Let's come to the Heavenly Father and praise Him. Father, we praise You and worship You and thank You for this magnificent, beautiful, wonderful day. I'm so grateful that You're our Lord, our God, our Savior, our Healer, our Deliverer, our Provider. You are our everything, and we worship You and praise You and thank You, Father, for this beautiful, magnificent, glorious day that You have made. What an awesome God You are. Now, Lord, as we study Your Word, I ask You to give us revelation and wisdom and understanding, just like Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 3. May we have wisdom and knowledge and understanding from Your Word. Why, there's not very much power in the church today. Help us, Lord, to understand these mighty truths as we study what your word has to say about what we need to do to walk in your grace and your power and your love. Lord, we worship you and praise you. Now, as the word goes out, I ask you to bless the word as men and women hear it. I ask you to open their hearts to understand the truths of the word of God. And I praise you and thank you and worship you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Have you ever wondered why there's so much uh, unbelief in the church today? I can sit down with anybody just about it. I mean, it's uh, everybody is almost the same in the church today. I used to be this way, and I still am to a certain degree. It is very difficult to overcome unbelief. But that's where the church is living. They are living in unbelief. I mean, I've had many a person I'd sat down with and I'd say, do you believe this book? And they say, absolutely every word of it, from Genesis to maps, I believe every word in the Word of God. And I would just turn and tell them, that's a lie. You do not believe that. Oh, yes, I do, they will tell me. I will sit down with them in a matter of a few minutes. I will prove to them they do not believe this mighty book. Well, why is it that we live in that unbelief? What is wrong with us? Because we definitely do not believe God's Word. Let me make you or give you an example of what I'm talking about. If you were to get sick, what would you do? I'm going to tell you what 999 and 9 tenths percent of you will do. You'll do the same thing I used to do. When you get very sick or have a very serious symptom, the first thing you think about is either I've got to have some medicine or I've got to go to the doctor. You will never, ever hardly ever find a Christian that the first thing they do when they get sick is sit down and rebuke the enemy, command him to leave, and thank the Father that he sent his Son, Jesus Christ, to heal you, and then get up and go do whatever you wanted to do, realizing that the King of the universe, his name is Jesus, had healed you on the cross. Now, you don't find many people that will do that today. You will find a few, but not very many. Now, why is it? Why is it? What has happened? I'm telling you that through unbelief, man gratified wrongly an appetite contrary to God's Word. 
Through disobedience to God's Word, death came upon the human race. Sin, sickness, and sorrow, along with many other of the curses of the fall, are traced to the serpent, Satan. Fear also came upon man. Certain carnal desires having been awakened in Adam, he now had great fear. I was afraid because I was naked. I hid myself. Now, that's what Adam said in Genesis 3.10. So fear is related to unbelief. Now, the Lord began to pronounce judgment, and one of the first curses that was given to mankind was the sorrow connected with the sex appetite. I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, Genesis 3.16. And thy conception in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. I'll just read that again. The next major curse was placed upon the ground and concerned the appetite of eating. In sorrow shall thou eat of it all the days of your life, Genesis 3.17. Now these and innumerable other distresses and sorrows were what man now was to partake of. By participating in the wrong things against the will of his Maker and his Master, man now must eat of sickness and sorrow. Why did this happen? All because of unbelief and the failure to take the Lord at his very word. See, from the beginning in the Garden of Eden, we did not believe God. He told us what would work and what wouldn't work, and we didn't believe him. So unbelief has been around for a very long time. Now, the fall of man came about by his appetites. Hunger appetite is by far the strongest of all the appetites with which man is confronted. Think of it. The very appetite that originally caused the race to fall is the key to all the other appetites. Now, by believing on God's Son, Jesus Christ, and accepting Him as a complete Savior, mankind can have eternal life and escape the curse of the sin of disobedience, which is unbelief. Now, if we have eternal life through Jesus, our Savior, then we can have power to do His miracles and come into fruit-bearing. The thing about it is, today, you almost see no miracles in the church today. I was in church all of my life. Every time the door was open, and how unfortunate, the, de the denominational churches that I've been a member of all of my life, I had never saw God do a miracle in the, from the pulpit. What a, what a sad state of affairs. And it's all because of our unbelief. When you start believing God, you will see Him do great and mighty things. Because if we have eternal life through Jesus our Savior, then we can have power to do His miracles and come into fruit-bearing. Now, every one of us should be walking in that as sons of God. Now then, 
if it was necessary for the Son of Man to come into the world to lay down his very life for you and me, he surely would give us some information regarding the proper procedure to cast out unbelief in order that we may regain our miraculous power and faith in God. We find that he did this very thing in Matthew 17, verse, starting with verse 17. You have to read several verses there. But the, the uh, disciples did not believe enough. They did not take Jesus' word seriously because they could not. They were too much in a state of carnality. Now, the feeding habit was uppermost in their lives, and they could not approach the faith necessary to see the work of faith in operation in the case of the lunatic. The powerless disciples came to Jesus to ask him, why they could not cast him out. And it's very interesting what Jesus said here. Jesus said very clearly, because of your unbelief. Listen to what he said. Because of your unbelief. Now, Jesus was very tactful and diplomatic when he continued his teaching on unbelief and faith, and he gave them the formula that was necessary to, in order to obtain the faith that these men needed to be able to cast out this demon. Now, previously, it was too early to tell them. Now was the time to do so. Jesus was very wise to give the disciples this discourse on faith as he did. After carefully analyzing the embarrassing situation with which they were confronted, he proceeded to tell them what to do to have the faith and to eliminate their unbelief, which was a byproduct of carnality. Now, great faith was needed to cast out this lunatic and could be obtained by the proper means. But here, our beloved Jesus revealed one of the greatest secrets ever recorded in the Word of God. It was not time in Matthew chapter 4, to reveal why he fasted. Jesus was not in the habit of teaching his disciples any truth they were not yet able to comprehend. This was the psychology that Jesus used, and this was the moment, and he made full use of it. Now then, in their exaltation over their power, over unclean spirits, they did not perceive that even greater faith was needed and could be obtained by the proper means as given in Matthew 17:20. If you have faith, now this is one of the most awesome statements in the entire Word of God, and I want you to listen to this. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Hmm, that's pretty strong, isn't it? Then how be it this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting? The revelation of why Jesus fasted forty days and nights was unfolded to them right here. We may feel assured that this truth was remembered and later put into practice by the disciples. 
Now then, one of the things that's gone away in the church today is fasting. We fast so little, and that's why we are so powerless. Now tomorrow, we're going to continue on teaching on this problem, why there is so much unbelief in the church today. So listen tomorrow as we continue on. Now I'd like to invite you to write me for teaching tapes, for audio and video tapes on these subjects, the Living Savior Ministries at 940-242-2106. You can get to us on the web at www.tlsm.org. And there you can send us an email or find out where we're going to be speaking. Also, we'd like to invite you to our church at 10921 Shady Trail in North Dallas every Sunday afternoon from 2 to 4 p.m. 10921 Shady Trail in North Dallas. Also, like to invite you to our healing school the second Saturday of every month at uh, 737 Treadwell Drive in Hearst, Texas. And second Saturday of every month starts at 1 p.m. Saturday afternoon. Come expecting a miracle from the Lord. Praise the Lord Jesus. This is Thurman Scrivener. Let's come to the Father today. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, as we talk today about unbelief and fasting and prayer and why there's no power in the church, I ask you to give us revelation and wisdom and understanding from your word why so many of us today walk in unbelief. Lord, I praise you and thank you for this beautiful, magnificent, glorious day. Now, Lord, as we go into your word, I ask you to reveal your word to us and what is wrong with us, why we live in unbelief. Lord, I don't, it's just awesome that the church is in unbelief. When you said in your word, when you come again, will you find faith on the earth? Lord, as I've just barely begun to walk in just a little bit of faith, I'm beginning to understand what you meant. There will be very little faith. So, Lord, help us to understand and hear and re receive your word that we might truly walk in the power of the word of God. And I worship you and praise you and thank you, Father, for the magnificent things that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, now then, as we're talking about why there's no power in the church today, one of the things we, were, we talked about yesterday was that we found in Matthew 17, whenever the men came and they could not cast out this demon out of this lunatic, and they asked the Lord, why could they not cast him out? Because Jesus cast him out without a problem. And he clearly told them, because of your unbelief. You could not cast out this demon because of your unbelief. And then he said, this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. You know, for years, for years, I thought he was talking about the demon. But he's not talking about the demon at all. He's talking about the unbelief. Now, the, the revelation of why Jesus fasted 40 days and nights was unfolded to these men right here. We may feel assured that this truth was remembered and later put into practice by the disciples. Now, since the days of the apostles, there have been countless thousands who have not been able to bear these words of Jesus, and some 
copyists have omitted this word fasting from the Word of God and from their manuscripts. These manuscripts originated in a time when whatever one could not bear in a doctrine was put under suspicion, even though the sacred text had to be altered. Now, it was a time when very little of this kind was being cast out. Now, the religious leaders who omit the major consecration, these fasts are like a machine hitting on only one cylinder. They do not believe the Word of God. You know, these men, you know, they... They, too, are powerless. The full formula of Jesus in the Word of God is this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. Now, I know, just like I heard a well-known preacher preaching the other day, and he was preaching about fasting, and he made a statement. He said, when you mention fasting in the church, people's eyeballs cage, and they go into a rage. To think about, we might have to go one whole day without food, but Jesus fasted 40 days and nights. Wow, you know, that will put you to the test, won't it? Because your appetite is something else. Now then, if these theological gladiators had honored Christ enough to try prayer and fasting, the church would have attained a spiritual level equal to that of the apostles' time. And fasting is genuine for the followers' following reasons. It is in harmony with the practice of Christ. Think about this. Now, Jesus Christ, he fasted. <clears throat> now, if Jesus fasts, then we ought to fast because it gives us the only key to the fast of Jesus. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungered, because that's written in Matthew 4. Now, it alone gives the complete answer and explanation of Jesus. Now, it agrees with other teachings of Jesus on fasting. It is verified by apostolic experiences. Now, it is proved true by every proper use of fasting and prayer. It is proved true by the personal experiences of men and women who have fasted from 10 to 40 days in the present time right now. In fact, I had a man here a while back tell me, he just walked up to me and he said, that demon in that girl, if you will fast seven days, you can cast out that demon. You know how long it took me to build my faith to the point that I could say, Okay, Lord, I'm going to go seven days and nights without eating any food. I finally done that. Seven days and nights. That was a long time for me because I went ahead and worked and everything. But I did get some clear revelation from the Lord in that. But I know that's as long as I have ever fasted in my life, seven days and nights. But I do know 
that to get to the point where I need to be and want to be from what I have learned from the Word of God, I am going to have to learn how to fast beyond seven days. If I want, that is providing, if I want to go to a new level of faith, and I want to go to a new level. Now, I've been to the level I am, and I've seen the Lord do awesome things. Now, it's awesome when you get to the level where I am. But I realize to go beyond that level, I'm going to have to do more fasting. Now, nothing could have been more impressive or emphatic than the simple teaching of Jesus. Now then, this teaching that Jesus gave under the impressive circumstances of the disciples' failure, because they could not cast out this demon. Now, if there was not another syllable about fasting in the entire Word of God, these words of our blessed Redeemer, taken in connection with his fast, should have been sufficient to remove all mystery that would be hovering over his uh, temptation and should have induced disciples of all centuries to seek the benefits of prayer and fasting as a preventative of failing faith and, uh, and a destroyer of unbelief or if no lack of faith were there, then the desire to follow the example of Jesus should have been sufficient motive to follow him in his prayer and fasting. Now, fortunately, we are not limited to, the, to this one statement of, of Jesus about the value of prayer and fasting. Jesus, other places, expressly commended fasting in his disciples and declared that they would fast. Now, he made those statements in Matthew 9, Mark 2, and Luke 5. Now, according to tradition, the Pharisees fasted two days a week. But now, the disciples, let's see what Jesus had to say about this. It says, as long as Jesus was with them, his disciples actually had no need of fasting, he said. Through his presence, he gave them what thousands of memorial fast days would not be able to give to the disciples of John or the Pharisees. Jesus, Jesus connected their errors in belief and practice. He revealed to them what they desired to learn and were capable of receiving. His example and presence inspired them. Surely they were blessed above kings and prophets through his presence. Think what it would be like to be in the presence of the king and to see him do these great and mighty things. Through it they enjoyed privileges which disciples of all ages have desired to share and which we enjoy only in a second-hand measure through the Bible record. Now, still, we all feel that with these privileges of the apostles, even greater things could be performed because he made that statement to us in John 14:12. We would consider ourselves well qualified for every spiritual problem, and in following this line of thought, we entirely overlook the significance of the fast that Jesus said even 
these heaven-taught men would fast when the bridegroom would be taken from them because he made that statement in Matthew 9:15. He also told them, It is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter or the Holy Spirit will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. Now, he made that statement to us in John 16:7. Did the bridegroom leave? Did they tarry in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit? Acts, the first and second chapters, says they did. Did the apostles fast? Then are not we to fast? Do we know how to fast? Now, if fasting was worthless, as is popularly supposed, and as the neglect of it would seem to indicate, what would they have fasted? You know, and why would these men have fasted? And why did Jesus recommend it to them? Would he have done so if the benefits of fasting had been obtainable by any other means? If there were any spiritual or physical danger involved in the practice, would he not have told them? Did he not operate the gifts of the spirits after he fasted? Jesus did not perform a recorded miracle until after his 40-day fast. Now, you think about that. The very first thing that Jesus did after he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit was go into the wilderness and fast and pray for 40 days and nights. Boy, if we were to tell every Christian that's the first thing they had to do, there'd be very few Christians, wouldn't they? Well, we'll continue this tomorrow. I'd like to invite you to call me the Living Savior Ministry at 940-242-2106. Also, you can contact us on the web at www.tlsm.org. And also, we'd like to invite you to our church. We have church every Sunday at 10921 Shady Trail in North Dallas. Uh, that's uh, uh, We start at 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. every Sunday afternoon. 10-921 Shady Trail in North Dallas, 2 to 4 p.m. Also, like to invite you to our healing school. We teach you how to be healed and how to walk well uh, in the Lord. And we do that at uh, 737 Treadwell Drive in Hearst, Texas, the second Saturday of every month. It starts at 1 p.m. It's at the Believer's Worship Center. Come expecting a miracle. Praise the Lord Jesus. This is Thurman Scribner with the Living Savior Ministry. Let's come to the mighty Heavenly Father. Father, we worship you and praise you and thank you for the great and mighty Holy Spirit that's our teacher today that you sent to us on this earth. And we worship you and we praise you and we thank you. Lord, I thank this last night as I sat out in the beautiful afternoon, the evening, and looked at that magnificent moon that came up with that beautiful ring around it. I think about the beauty of your creation and how you do all these wonderful things and you do them all for us, your children. Father, I just want to worship you for who you are, my Lord, my God, my Savior, my Healer. I just worship you, Father, and praise you and thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. 
thank you for the abundance of all things. Now, Lord, I ask you to give us revelation and wisdom and knowledge from your word as we study today in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Now, this week we're talking about fasting and unbelief. Now then, unbelief may not appear very significant to most Christians today that are unacquainted with fasting because most Christians that I've talked to, most of them have fasted very, very little in their life. Now, this this thing of fasting or even the thing of unbelief it may seem very small and unimportant to most Christians because most people have never walked in the power of the Spirit. But if you want to walk in a place that is beyond your wildest dreams, and I'm telling you there is nothing like it, but I'm going to tell you in a fast through to victory, major fast, not only is the curse of unbelief fully realized, but the earnest is fully consecrated, and this fully yielded candidate has power to reach out and pick up the barrier of unbelief and cast it out completely. Now then, by prayer and fasting. Now, that's Matthew seventeen twenty one and Mark 9 tells us, no obstacle can be removed until we realize it as an obstruction and become deeply burdened about winning the victory. Now then, I want to tell you that a warfare is constantly being waged within God's creation, His man. A continuous struggle between right and wrong is nearly always present. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Now Paul wrote this for us in Romans seven twenty-two and 23. I'm going to tell you that if Paul had that problem... I can guarantee you, you will have that problem because the enemy will see to it. Now, to be victor in the fight between the flesh and the spirit, oftentimes one will be required to resort to additional reinforcements. We do find in the Holy Word of God that there is a great friend of faith. Now, this friend has so many things in common with faith. It lacks the same things that faith lacks. It even disregards and entirely ignores the very same things that faith does. So mutual are the things they have in common that faith becomes far more efficient, active, and developed when this great alley comes to the assistance of faith. They both are mostly concerned with the overthrowing of two powerful centers of dominion. Now, these are great forts or strongholds that prevent us from receiving the supernatural as we should. 
by the breaking down of these strongholds, we are enabled to make rapid strides of spiritual advancement and progress. Mountains can be removed, and nothing shall be impossible with you, because the Lord made that promise or that statement to us in Matthew 17:20. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought, every thought, to the obedience of Christ. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's a very difficult thing to do until you really get into spirit. But that statement is found for us in 2 Corinthians 10, 3, 4, and 5. Now, I'm going to tell you that faith's fight is the spirit's fight. Faith's fight is against our five physical senses. All the knowledge natural man has has come through these channels to his brain. The Spirit wants us to have revelation knowledge. Spiritual things are more real than material things. Spiritual forces are stronger than mental forces. Spiritual forces govern disease. Spiritual forces govern natural law. Most of the natural things will pass away. Now, the Lord told us that over in 2 Peter 3 then why live entirely after the senses of seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, and smelling, which depends upon the natural, which includes appetite gratification, a new faith environment. As more reinforcements are received, the fight rages with even more intensity as the Christian seeks more of faith and the riches of the Spirit. However, the battle never grows with such intensity as when the seeker of spiritual truth puts into operation the most powerful fighting spiritual process available for the purpose of carrying the fight right on through to enemy territory. This is one of the mighty weapons the Spirit can utilize most effectively. This is nothing more or less than the consecration fast. Now, fasting is faith's most powerful alley. How it overcomes the worst enemy of our soul, which is unbelief. Unbelief is as great an alley of Satan as is faith an alley of the Christian. Fasting enables faith to penetrate Holy Ghost strongholds. Fasting is such a powerful weapon against carnality and unbelief that it actually hates our senses, which is the seat of both the natural and unbelief. These are kept in operation through the stronghold of appetite a very great stronghold of the flesh. Now, the senses war tremendously against the fast. 
Hence, this explains why so many of God's people are unable to defeat them and enter into a greater spiritual life of service for Jesus. The senses oppose fasting, and fasting oppose the senses. At this point, faith comes in. Faith, likewise, is an enemy of these very same senses, and to the same degree, fasting is likewise their enemy. Remember these senses, together with our appetites, go warring after the Spirit, making the soul the great battleground, <laughs> and many times for many of us, the graveyard. When the fast has complete right of way without hindrances, the flesh becomes arrested. Then carnality is compelled to yield and bow to the Spirit. When this is done, unbelief is destroyed, and the Spirit has more right of way than is possible through any other method known that is available to mankind. Take any one of our natural senses, any one of our natural sense faculties, such as the eye, for instance. In a fast, the eye is ignored. It has to be, because when the eye gate sees the food on the table, it creates a craving and desire to take this tempting dish into the body. There would be no more of a fast if this temptation is yielded to. Therefore, the fast is an enemy of our sight. What we see is an enemy to the fast. Faith is likewise an alley of the fast. They both work and pull together in perfect harmony. They cannot work against each other because of their common foes. Faith ignores our sight by refusing to allow us to see what we are believing God for. Faith requires us to believe before we see, and then we see it later. The same thing also applies to our other senses. Fasting tells us to ignore our desires to touch, taste, to hear when food is cooked or to smell it. We cannot allow our mouth to taste and to feel the food in our mouth. For to do so would defeat and overcome the fast, so that is would not be one. Fasting likewise tells us, I have no use for feeling. If we are looking for feeling and place food that we feel and taste into our mouth, the fast immediately ceases and we again go under the influence of the natural. Isn't it difficult to overcome this? Faith disregards feeling because feeling is not faith. And one of the reasons why there's absolutely no power in the church today, why there's almost no power in the church, there is a few people walking under the anointing today, but they're very few and far between. In fact, I had a man the other day that his wife, uh, had fell and hit her head, and uh, she was 
been down for about six weeks, and one of her, his friends told him he should bring her over to my church over in North Dallas. And he said, why? He said, well, my wife said she has seen miracles happen over there in that church. And so he asked the man, have you ever seen any miracles happen here yourself? And he said, no, I've not seen any happen here. But she, he said, I understand they do happen. And said, my wife said that there's some happens over at the Living Savior Church over in North Dallas. So this man brought his uh, little son and came over there and listened to me teach the Word of God uh, for about an hour and a half on Sunday afternoon. And then he came up and asked me to pray for his wife which we came to the Father in faith, and we prayed for her. And then I told him, I said, Now then, your wife is healed, I guarantee it. So you go home and tell her to get up and walk down the street, and she's going to be fine. Well, he agreed with that prayer, and when he got home, his wife was already up and had walked down the street, and she's been doing well ever since, and that's been several months ago. So he was just kind of, awestruck at what he had saw, but you know, faith today, people go by feelings. They go by what they feel. They say, well, you pray for me, and if I feel good, then I will believe I'm healed. That never brings our king on the scene. Faith disregards feeling altogether because feeling is not faith. Now, feeling is one of faith's worst enemies. We completely overcome all feeling when we come to accept our Lord for what we are believing. Now, the fight may continue to rage on and on in the great battleground of our soul so that faith will be victor. In major cases, Prayer and fasting are required along with the consecration fast. Then these victories, oftentimes, they will prepare us for greater things. We are looking forward to the time in the near future when not only the works that Jesus did shall we do, but also, just like he said in John fourteen twelve, greater works than these shall we do, because he's going to the Father. Now then, I think about what some people in my congregation are doing. I have people almost every Sunday that get up and come and give a testimony of what they have done in the name of Jesus. I have some people in my congregation that have learned how to fast and pray, and they are beginning to see the Lord do great and mighty things. But now fasting, it definitely, this consecrated fast definitely takes some effort. And in fact, I just had a man the other day that has just uh, finished a 28-day fast and this man is casting out demons and healing the sick, and mighty miracles are following this man. In fact, there is another. Uh, this man is in his 50s, and I also have another young man in his 20s 
that is doing the same thing. And this young man is also fasting and praying and spending many hours a day in God's Word. And he comes to church almost every Sunday telling about someone else he's led to Christ or someone he's got healed in the name of Jesus. Now, these are the things that begin to happen whenever you fast and pray. Now, there's lots of ways that God will bring a fast upon people, on nations. One of the, th- one of the reasons that many people fast, and of course this is a, something that's not in their control, but food shortages. In places or in countries where there's food shortages which cause famines, many people will fast. In fact, many people will starve to death. I've heard many different people talk about the thousands of people that will die today because of a lack of food. And that's such a shame. That's such a shame. Now, another way that fasts are brought on people is because of illnesses, which with certain illnesses, many people, it's impossible for them to eat. So during that time, if they will seek God, they can learn great and mighty things. And there's also some people just have appetite failure in which food becomes nauseating. You know, they just don't uh, appear to want anything to eat. Now, famines and times of economic depression are always the result of sin, unbelief, and disobedience to God. Now, I'm sorry, folks, but that's just what the Word of God says. Anytime the people were obedient and are always doing what God told them to do, there's always plenty of food for them to eat. But when they get off into a state of sin, unbelief, and disobedience to God, famines and times of economic depression will always come to that country. Now, mankind has never been able to enjoy full prosperity and complete spiritual favor and blessing both at the same time, not at least not for a very long period of time. The satisfaction of a full belly, a full pocketbook, and plenty of other full things has resulted in the doom of many nations. One of the things I have noticed in so many Christians today, when Christians come in today, the average group of Christians will sit down And they will absolutely eat a beautiful meal, regardless of what that meal consists of. If you have food to eat, it's a beautiful meal, because many people don't have it. Many people will sit down to eat and absolutely not praise and worship the Lord for their food. You should absolutely never, when you do sit down to eat, it doesn't make any difference where you are. You should never put a bite of food, actually food or drink, in your mouth without praising and worshiping and thanking the Lord for it because He has given you all of those wonderful things. Just think what it would be like if you had an empty belly, you had an empty pocketbook, and everything else you had was empty. You had no house to go to, no car to drive, you know, no food to drink, no or no water to drink, no food to eat. Can you imagine? Most people in America can't. 
And we are we have been so blessed. So folks, if you are going to eat, at least sit down and praise and worship the Lord and thank Him for all these things He's given you. Now, history of the children of Israel is an illustration of all of these things we've been talking about. It showed over and over how quickly self-satisfied man forgets his dependence upon God. Yet when our Lord is always put first over these natural blessings, it is His will for us to prosper abundantly. The book of Deuteronomy brings out this truth. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth. That's in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We feel certain the Lord not only permits famines and depressions to afflict the world and his people because of disobedience and unbelief, but he also brings about forced fastings through illnesses and appetite failures. This is why voluntary fastings are so valuable. A consecration fast, which in many instances prevent the hand of our loving Father from chasing us as His disobedient children, much greater suffering can thus be avoided. A person full of food and possessing nearly every comfort and satisfaction of life cannot easily keep his entire trust and faith in God for a very long period of time. The children of Israel could have entertained and entered the promised land in a few days if they had patiently and humbly accepted the forced fast put on them by God. Now, instead of keeping their trust and faith in Him, they complained and they wanted to go back to the land of Egypt, the land of sin. They said they wanted to go back and eat garlic, leeks, and onions. Their separation from worldliness and the land of Egypt could not be brought about while on a feed to prepare for a promised land of plenty and spiritual happiness. They were required to fast. Since they would not fast voluntarily, the Lord placed a forced fast upon them. He humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger. Now, he said that in Deuteronomy 8.3. And he fed them with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord. So, see, he put a forced fast on his people. Don't let the Lord have to do that to you. Take it voluntarily and do it voluntarily. Praise the Lord. Contact us at 940-242-2106. 940-242-2106 for these audio and video teachings on all these subjects. We'll be happy to send you tapes. Also, you can get to us on the web at www.tlsm.org. 
And also we'd like to invite you to our church in North Dallas every Sunday afternoon from 2 to 4 p.m. We're at 10-921 Shady Trail. 10-921 Shady Trail in North Dallas. Come expecting the Lord to do a miracle for you. Praise the Lord Jesus. This is Thurman Scrivener with the Living Savior Ministries. Let's come to our magnificent, wonderful Lord again today. Heavenly Father, I praise you and worship you and thank you for this beautiful, magnificent, glorious day. I praise you and worship you, Father, for every second of every day that you give us, for the good things that you give us, for the salvation that you give us as a free gift, which is incomprehensible to me to think about that magnificent gift. But, Lord, today I want you to know I love you and praise you for it. Now, Father, as the word goes out today, ask you to reveal to us the word, give us knowledge and wisdom and understanding that we may know what we're supposed to do as sons and daughters of the king so we may walk in obedience to your word. So, Father, I praise you and thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now then, yesterday we were talking about these fasts uh, that uh, the children of Israel had to go on. And over here in Matthew 4, uh, Jesus was very familiar with this scripture because at the conclusion of his 40-day fast, Jesus quoted it saying, It is written. Now, the devil's rage knew no bounds. He never was so much interested in Jesus before his fast, but after Jesus had fasted to come fully into his manifestation. Satan was right on the job to bring about two Christ-similar temptations that were brought to Adam and Eve. Now, that beast is always on the job, folks. There's a war, warring against your spirit, against your man, and you need to be aware of the devil and how he does these things. Now, there is absolutely no record of Jesus performing one single miracle before he fasted. Now, he doubtless realized from the many failures of the children of Israel and the cause of these failures that he could do by fasting 40 days what they failed to do because they had their minds on the garlic of the world. Although Jesus was God, he also was a man, and he fasted as a man in the same natural way that you and I can fast. The Scriptures very plainly proves this because the Scripture says in Matthew 4, And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward, afterward hungry. Now this is one of the greatest scientific declarations in the entire Bible and is worthy of very special notice. Here is a man who became hungry after doing without food for 40 days. It is a scientific fact that hunger will return to any average person who will fast approximately that long. When fasting, hunger leaves in three or four days. Habit hunger comes around very frequently, but can usually be overcome by drinking lots of water. And I might add, if you're going to do a fast, you need to make sure you do it and drink lots of good, clean water 
and you also need to do it. If you're going to go on a fast more than six or seven or eight days, you need to find someone that has done these extended fasts before, and you need to find all the things you need to do because there is some requirements. It's not just a simple thing. So you need to know what to do. But whatever you do, you must drink plenty of water. Now, Jesus, he done this. He overcame by water drinking, by praying, or by proper thinking. He was keeping his mind from thoughts of food. After a few days, eight or ten or twelve days, more or less, the weakness usually leaves and the person feels stronger day by day while fasting. In about 40 days, sometimes longer, and sometimes before, depending upon the weight of the individual, these true unmistakable hunger pains return in the same manner that it did to Jesus. If not, usually the tongue clears up or weakness comes about. Now then, the fast could be ended and completed without the return of hunger, the clearing of the coated tongue is also an indication the fast is over. Or, when weakness or other serious difficulties set in, the fast should be very, very carefully broken at that time. Now, here is another very important point that I want to stress, which is nearly always overlooked by most people. He was afterward hungered. The failure to see this phase of Jesus' fast is the main reason why fasting is so little understood. Now, this is the reason there is more ignorance, misunderstanding, confusion, and intolerance regarding the subject of fasting than any other Bible subject. It is terrible. The key to all complete protracted fasting is the one word, hungered. This key will unlock and expose entirely Satan's, uh, all the things Satan comes against you with, which have prevented the church from fasting. This one word leads us directly into the physical study of fasting. Any doctor or nurse will confirm the fact that a good appetite is generally an indication of good health and a sound body. Now, here is an example of one who fasted exactly as you or I can fast, and he was well, healthy, and hungry at the end of the 40 days. There is no indication of pain, weakness, disease, or sickness. He was not in bed. He used no crutches to get around with. But he showed us he was not too proud to fast 40 days, yet strong enough to meet the devil in person. Now, Jesus never expected us to do anything that would be harmful to us. Fasting cannot in any way hurt or harm the average individual. In fact, any person, whether sick or well, can fast, and not only come out of it with spiritual benefit, but can also have a more healthy body and a more natural, normal appetite. Now, sick people usually do not have a desire for food. Many people 
have not been able to eat. They were forced to fast. In the forced fast, they had time to pray and meditate. Now, a deeper consecration and a yieldedness to God through the fast caused unbelief to disappear, and healing or answered prayer was the result. Now, often, a forced fast has brought a revelation or vision, and the individual secures a firmer grip on the Lord. Now, often, fasting gets no credit for the results obtained. It is ignored and perhaps never mentioned except as just an incident. People are too much inclined to go by feeling and sight than by faith and the Spirit. Fasting will produce faith with the Word of God in our hearts quicker than any means. This is why fasting is so closely related to faith. It will also remove unbelief. These things may not be very easily understood, but you are right now receiving light on a subject which will be which the prophets themselves were familiar. If you will accept this light, you too can have experiences similar to theirs. Why not be an Elijah or a Daniel by meeting their conditions? You know, read James 5:10 through 18 and study Elijah carefully. Think about what happened. Now, right here, I'm going to tell you a testimony about a lady had, that was on a forced fast. And then after this forced fast, this lady was magnificently, wonderfully healed. There seems to be evidence that she, too, was in ignorance of the real value of fasting. Anyway, it worked whether she understood fasting or not, because she was forced to do without food for 12 days. Now then, she said herself, I have been healed before by the Lord. However, my last healing was far more difficult to obtain because I had a more severe illness. I had an awful cancer in my stomach. Many times I was prayed for, but there seemed to be no results. I just could not get enough of faith to believe the Lord. I grew steadily worse and absolutely became bedfast through this whole deal. Now, she can said that many people, Christians, continued to pray for her, but it seemed the Lord had forsaken her. She finally says, I got so I could not eat. For twelve days I was unable to eat a single bite. It was even difficult to drink water. Some people from out of town came in to pray for me, and the Lord instantly raised me up and healed me completely. Now then, what happened? Of course, She was not healed when they prayed for her before she fasted, because this was a kind that cometh out by nothing except by prayer and fasting. Maybe you've had a similar problem, but you have not fasted. Now, unbelief presents many people from obtaining healing and the answers to their prayers. God cannot bless us even though He wants to when unbelief is present. Without faith, it is impossible. It is impossible to please God. Jesus cannot penetrate through unbelief. 
Even forced fasting will remove unbelief because it is in harmony with what consecration fasting will do. Prayer may be going up earnestly and sincerely for Jesus to do something for us. There is still too much unbelief for the full prayer to be heard and answered. And it may be answered in the following manner. A great sickness or tragedy comes about that causes a Christian to lose his appetite altogether, or he may be able to eat but very little. The fast or partial fast continues for many days and finally abolishes unbelief and develops a necessary faith just think, answered prayer is now an, an accomplished fact. Pre-peps, the victorious Christian still does not know the real secret of his success because fasting is too much like faith. And the more I read the word about it and the more I read about what doctors have to say about what happens when we fast, it's kind of amazing what I'm learning. But I have learned that many of the sickness and disease that we have is because of overeating. And many Christians that I deal with, since I am in a healing ministry, and I deal with many people, and many people come to me and they want the Lord to heal them whenever they got problems with their knees, their back, all kinds of problems, and these people are not just a little bit overweight. Some of them are 100, 200, 250 pounds overweight. Well, let me tell you, folks, the problem is your appetite, and you're going to have to learn to control that appetite. I'm going to tell you for sure that many Christians have nothing whatsoever wrong with them but what the curative agencies of fasting will remedy. It is almost useless to come to Jesus seeking healing for a condition caused by this gross sin of gluttony when all you need to do is abstain and this, this will be the remedy that you will need that will fix your situation. In most such cases, healing is not easily received because the individual will just go out and sin some more. He would stuff himself sick again. He would be a fool and perhaps become more ill until his soul abhorreth all manner of meat. He would not be able to eat. Now, the Lord has given us a healthy, normal appetite. He expects us to use it discreetly. If we are not hungry, we should not eat. One of the great sins of the day is the timing of eating and the forcing ourselves to eat whether we have an appetite or not. If it is 12 o'clock, it's time to eat, just because everyone else eats at 12 o'clock. This forces our appetite and creates a false sense of hunger. The appetite becomes abnormal, and we develop habit hunger, which is hunger lust. And this, in turn, becomes sin, like the habit of drinking alcohol or smoking cigarettes. We thus come under addiction. Now then, in God's sight... Food addiction is just as great a sin as drug addiction. Many saints are under bondage to food addiction. Now, I have led a fasted life in my life. I mean, I can remember when I was a young man, 
it was, I mean, a really a young man. I'm talking about in my late teens or early 20s. I had some uncles that were 40, 50 pounds overweight, and I would tell them, guys, you need to begin to diet or control your appetite. And, of course, their reason to me was, oh, that's okay, Thurman. Just wait till you get middle age, 40, 50 years old. This is just a normal way of life. And I told them then, no, this is not going to be a normal way of life for me. I am going to control what I eat. And today, praise the Lord Jesus, I still weigh basically the same thing that I did 30 years ago. I am 63 years old uh, and still weigh only about 180, 185. I still wear the same pants that I did 30 years ago. So I'm telling you, you can live a fasted life. And it is something that we need to do on a regular basis. Now, fasting, uh, it, it seems like this is something that has completely been lost in the church. Because, like I say, I'm 63 years old, and in the churches that I've been associated with, I have never in my life heard any messages preached on fasting and how to fast and what to expect from the Lord when you fast. It has just not been taught. If there is anything that the devil does not want you to do, it's to learn how to fast. Now, there's one thing we do well in the church. Every time we have a meeting, we always bring lots of food, and we eat very well. And I will have to say, some of those ladies in some of those churches I've been members of are very good cooks, and even some of the men are good cooks. But still, you have to learn to control your appetite. I worked in a food operation as a regional engineer for 29 years, and there was food everywhere. That's what we did. We put food on the airplanes. I worked around that. I worked with the equipment, the buildings, the trucks, and everything else. I helped build and design equipment, and all I saw food everywhere, but I never let it become a driving factor to me. Now, there's many other persons that worked in those places that were grossly, grossly overweight because they ate food all the time. And they said, Thurman, how come you don't gain any weight? I said, it's very simple. I control what I eat, and I only eat when I'm hungry. That doesn't mean that I have to eat three or four times a day. Sometimes I would eat a very light breakfast, and then sometimes, uh, sure enough, light lunch, and then in the evening, a very light meal in the evening. And some people I know just gorge themselves at all three meals. And especially at a place like that, because all the food you want is free. You can have all you want. So what they are doing is digging their own early grave with their teeth. Now, if you want to keep on doing that, well, just keep on doing that. But the Lord says clearly in Hosea 4, 6, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you. Now, that's in the Word of God. Now, that's in Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. Now, many Christians are being destroyed in, the, in two ways. For lack of knowledge concerning one of the most vital subjects in the entire Word of God. Now, there is a physical destruction that goes on unrestrained if folks fail to fast to keep the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit clean. 
Now, there's also a spiritual destruction and decay from unbelief that cannot be checked effectively unless one goes into food abstination occasionally. Now, this may not always be accomplished in two or three days, but many require a fast of ten or more days. Now, then I asked a question in a Bible study class only a few weeks ago. I said, how many, and I had about 15 people in that Bible study class that morning. I said, now, how many in this class have ever fasted seven days? And the answer was none. Not one single person. One lady, when she left, she said, you really know how to hurt a lady. She said, I thought my 36-hour fast was a long fast. I never dreamed of fasting seven days. But sometimes even seven days won't get it done. Sometimes it'll take more than seven days. Sometimes it'll take 10 days. It'll take 14 days. It may take 28 days. It might take 40 days. I know several people that I know that have been on fast up to 40 days. One of the men in my church has just finished a 28-day fast. So when you go on a fast, there are so many things that happens in your body. But now the excuses are many that people give for not fasting. And most of those excuses are about as sound and substantial as the house built upon sand that Jesus tells us about. And the people who make these excuses are just about like the house made on sand. These very excuses indicate a lack of knowledge and understanding, and, uh, and it's absolutely pitiful because we don't know the Word of God. Now, folks, I'm just learning these things myself. So I'm preaching to me as much as I am to you. Now, in most cases, these excuses itself is a confession and is an indication of the fact that a fast is needed and is long past due. To begin with, Many do not fully understand just what the word fast means. Now, much confusion and misunderstanding may be eliminated if we distinguish between the meaning of the following words, which are as different as sunlight and moonlight. There is a major difference between the meaning of the words fast and diet, or starvation. You know, when we fast, we drink water. To fast and go without water is hunger and thirst, or fasting and thirsting. Now then, I'm going to read a scripture to you in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27. Now right here, Paul is talking about something. He had such great power and authority with the Lord, and I want you to see what he did in 2 Corinthians 11:27. He says, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Now, I want you to think about what all Paul went through there, in fastings often. In other words, Paul didn't just fast once in a while or once or twice in his life. He fasted often. So what does that say to us? Have we fasted often? Now, if you're fasting, if you're seeking the Lord, if you're praying and you're fasting, then if you're going to any length of time, especially more than 7, 10, 14, or maybe even up to an extended fast of 28 days, 
if you're drinking lots of good, clean, clear water, if you're doing that, and then after, say, 28 days your hunger returns, then you have fulfilled that fast. And it's time to come off that fast slowly and gently and easily, but then come off the fast. So that's something we need to learn how to do is fast. And that's what we're going to talk about this week is how to fast. Now then, I invite you to call me or write me for tapes or audio or video tapes on all these teachings. And my phone number is 940-242-2106. 940-242-2106. Also, you can get to us on the web, www.tlsm.org. And there you can get our email. We'd like to invite you to our church in North Dallas at the Living Savior Church at 10921 Shady Trail, 10921 Shady Trail in North Dallas. Now, we're there every Sunday afternoon from 2 to 4. Come and, well, and be a part of our congregation. also like to invite you to our healing school the second Saturday of every month at 737 Treadwell Drive in Hearst, Texas. We start at 1 p.m. every the second Saturday of every month. Praise the Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord Jesus. This is Thurman Scrivener again today with the Living Savior Ministries. Let's come to the Heavenly Father. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we talk about fasting this week, Lord, I ask you to give us revelation and wisdom and understanding from your word and what we should do and how we should fast. And Lord, I ask you to help us to reveal to us these mighty truths because we know you want us to walk in this realm that you have provided. So there is many requirements to walk in power and to walk in the name of Jesus until you do great and mighty miracles. So, Father, I ask you to reveal to us the truth this week and of understanding of what fasting really is and how to go about it and what it will do for us. Now, Lord, as the word goes out, I ask you to bless it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Now then, as we're continuing to talk about fasting this week, I know that uh, in the Word of God, uh, Moses was told to go up on the mountain and do without food or drink for 40 days. Now, don't you dare try to go without food and water for 40 days unless God himself tells you to do that. Because you can go without food, now it'd be liquid food or solid food for, it depends on the person, uh, 45 to 65 days before uh, your body, and most of the time it's in the 60-day realm, before the body will begin to consume itself internally, and then you start a process that cannot be reversed. But you don't want to do that. You don't want to go that far. Hunger will return before that time comes. Now then, But it is scriptural, because in Ezra chapter 10, verse 6, here that uh, when Ezra, when they were having the problem with all of the Israelite people, the Canaanite people, had married all the foreign women and brought them into their camp, and they realized that was against God's way. He didn't want them to intermarry with others. He wanted the Jewish nation to remain pure. Uh, and as they had realized they had sinned, uh, the prophet went into a fast in Ezra 10:6. And he says that he neither ate food nor drank water. So, but that was just for a few days. So even here, you know, he went into this uh, fast, and, and uh, it was totally uh, a fast of both uh, uh, liquid food 
water and uh, solid food also. Uh, you know, we, we don't understand today the difference between liquid food and uh, solid foods. Uh, I went to uh, a place the other night with some men, and one of those men uh, bought a bunch of uh, kind of liquid-type food, and he drank a whole lot of it uh, while we were there. And I asked him why he was doing that, and he said he was on a fast. Well, the items that he was eating or actually drinking, uh, there was lots of food value in those uh, that was sustaining his physical body. So technically speaking, he was not on a fast. He was on a fast from solid foods, you might say, but he was taking considerable liquid foods. So uh, a fast means to do without food, only to drink water. Now, today when we go into a restaurant, when someone asks, what would you have to drink, we understand that they mean coffee, milk, tea, or some soft drink or whatever. Now, it was this way in Bible days. Drink was a beverage as a liquid food. Food and drink were the same things as meat or food, like, for instance, in 1 Kings 19.8. They are both called meat. Sometimes also drink, in back in those days, included alcoholic beverages. Now, we may be either on a fast when we do without all nourishment, both liquid and solid, and only by drinking water. Now, fasting is very beneficial and is entirely different from what I would call starvation. Now, starvation you do without both food, liquid, water, and everything. But fasting, fasting, as far as I'm concerned, from what I'm learning, is abstaining from all solid and liquid food. You're drinking water only when you're on a real true fast. Now, I realize there's places in the Bible that talks about being on a, a fast of a certain kind, uh, like uh, no meat uh, fast or, or only drink. There's all kinds of fasts. But if you really want to go on a fast that's going to really cause your body to cleanse and purify itself from all the toxins and poisons and everything else that's within your body, go on a fast where you eat absolutely or drink no liquid or solid foods. Only drink lots of good, clean water. And if you will do that, your body will flush itself out. Now then, there's many, many excuses why people will not fast today. This is, a, this is a, uh, an art, or whatever you want to call it, in the church that's almost totally, completely lost today. There's just virtually uh, just a handful of people that fast. And some of the excuses are that people will say, I'm too weak to fast. I have a sickness, and I cannot fast. Uh, I get a headache when even missing one meal, or I get weak when I miss a meal. Uh, and other people say, I don't believe in starving myself, or I become dizzy, or all kinds of excuses. There are just all kinds of excuses people will give you. But, you know, fasting itself removes all of these symptoms. Uh, all these symptoms, if you have sickness, disease, and all those kind of problems, all the problems that you have from sickness and disease, most of those symptoms come from overeating 
are putting uh, all kinds of different drugs in your body. And the only way to get rid of those things is to flush them out of your body, is to go on a fast and drink plenty of just good, clean water. Now, the fast, whether it's a consecrated fast or just a fast for physical reasons, uh, it's a curative measure. A fast relieves the body of encumbrances such as toxins, waste, and poisonous excreta. The detrimental elements are gradually reduced as the fast continues. Now, they make food fuel for the body. And the common belief and expression that one must eat to keep up his strength is erroneous. The energy provided by food is not soon exhausted, and we do not have to eat as frequently as is generally supposed. Now, I was just talking to a friend of mine tonight, and he told me that one time years ago when he was preaching, he decided to go on a fast. LSM.org, there you can get our email. We'd also like to invite you to our church in North Dallas every Sunday afternoon, the Living Savior Church at 10-921 Shady Trail in North Dallas. It's very close to the intersection of uh, uh, Walnut Hill and Shady Trail. Very close. Come to see us and let's praise the Lord Jesus together this Sunday. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord Jesus. This is Thurman Scrivener again today with the Living Savior Ministries. Let's come to the Father. Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord, as we continue to talk about fasting this week and what the problems are with fasting and what fasting does and how it affects sickness and disease and our physical bodies and everything else, continue to reveal to us the truth of the Word of God. And we worship you and praise you and thank you because you clearly taught us in your Word that we should fast. So, Lord, as we talk about fasting this week, let us understand more of the Word of God and what we're to do when we come to the time when we're doing like Paul says, he fasted often. So help us, Lord, to understand that everything you put in your Word, you put there for a purpose for us to adhere to your rules and to do what you said. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now then, I'm going to tell you that the major cause of sickness and disease today is overeating. Now, the average American, we are what we eat, and the doctors will tell you that. And I watch uh, doctors once in a great while, not too often anymore, but I used to watch them regularly, and the ones I have listened to will talk about how eating the wrong foods and too much of it does devastating things to our body. Well, I am beginning to understand that overeating constitutes a real cause of sickness and disease. This cause is in nature and may be called toxemia or enervation. Now, that it is a sinful waste of energy to take inwardly more food, fuel, than the body requires. Now, practically without exception, all so-called diseases can be traced to these two causes. Now, disease does not pounce upon us from nowhere. Now, vaccines for polio, smallpox, diphtheria, and all other diseases are only poisons for the system. The best immunizers to disease is fasting. This literally starves out all root poisons 
are the which are the source of disease. Too much food fuel also becomes destructive to our tabernacle, which is the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. Now, fasting is such a powerful detoxifier of the body that it consumes most diseases in a manner that is more like the supernatural Holy Ghost fire than any other natural method known. Now, the light of life substance pours over us also when fasting properly. God will pour out his blessing upon us and give us revelation and wisdom and understanding from his word that you will never be able to get until you go into a fast. Now, acute diseases are nature's efforts to remove by fever eruptions, boils, colds, diarrhea, and other symptoms, its burdens of toxins and waste. Now, disease develops when one fails to keep clean the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. Physical benefits, however, are the secondary blessing that come through fasting. Our main objective is spiritual always. Now, fever is one of nature's greatest allies and one of its greatest needs when the body becomes polluted with too much fuel. To suppress it, or any symptom of acute disease, it drives back or holds within the body the encumbrance that nature was endeavoring to remove. Now, the suppression of acute disease is one of the prevalent causes of chronic disease. Continued feeding and the taking of drugs are the wrong methods to be used and only further conceal the real cause of the symptoms. Now, during acute illnesses, there usually is fever to burn out the root of the disease. Now, this causes the victim to lose desire for food. He is in no condition to accept food, to digest it, and transform it into part of himself to build or repair or to use energy or fuel for vital organic processes. The body cannot properly assimilate while it is undergoing active elimination through all channels and particularly through the mucous membranes of the digestive tube. Food consumed during such an acute reaction cannot possibly nourish the body because food can nourish only as it is digested, assimilated, and metabolized. Now, such food, regardless of how rich in minerals and vitamins is not food under such circumstances, but acts as poisons to the body. It feeds and aggravates the disease as too much gasoline does in a smoking, fouled-up carburetor. Now, if there's anything I can understand, it's a smoking, fouled-up carburetor. All you got to do is to take a car and let it run too rich, and it will crust up the inside of those engines in a terrible way. Now, unfortunately, there is not much teaching in this area today. Now then, also unfortunately, there is not such immediate unfavorable reactions to food in a chronic disease unless it pertains to the digestive tube directly or the kidneys. A chronic disease may be well developed before its presence is suspected. 
and it may be aggravated by various foods or habits of living before one is aware of its existence. I mean, I've known of lots of people that felt great, and all of a sudden they get short of breath or whatever, and they go in and their body is consumed almost to the point of stage three or four with terminal cancer. And they didn't even know it. And it was all because of either a spiritual problem or a physical problem because of overeating or eating the wrong things. Now, let me tell you something right here that I've learned. You can eat, you can fast, you can eat the right foods, eat the right ma amounts, exercise your body, and do everything perfectly the way it should be done, but yet you do not worship and praise the Lord and you do not spend time with God, you can still die with cancer at a very young age. You must worship and praise the king. You must put him first. What is it we don't understand when the Lord says, I am a jealous God. You are to put nothing before me. You are to put me first. So if you're not putting God first, if you're not talking to him every day in prayer, you're not worshiping him, praising him, reading his word, spending time with the king, going to church and putting him first, then you can do anything you want to to your physical body, and it still may die young, or it still may be sick and afflicted. So there's several things you need to do. You need to take care of your body spiritually and physically. Now then, the various symptoms and symptom complexes called disease are the outcropping of volcanic eruptions of overcharged surfeiting called toxins, which is caused by the failure to eat with temperance or eat the right food and have a good house cleaning occasionally by means of a good fast. I'm going to tell you that fasting purifies the blood and drives out anemic problems and sickness and disease. Whether it is a local or general disease, either acute or chronic, functional or organic, the rational treatment is purification of the blood and lymph streams, bringing organic functioning to more nearly normal and to restoring nerve forces. Now, when the body is freed of its encumbrance, when organic activity is restored and nerve tones rebalanced, there exists a condition of health. The symptoms disappear spontaneously because there is nothing to support them. The blood has a tendency to maintain a certain degree of saturation. If foods are not supplied from which the blood can receive elements through absorption from the intestinal tract. The blood, in its eagerness to receive elements, will take up deposited waste products, the very poisons that cause disease, plus the store of fat and utilize such for energy. How, then, can a person starve when the body is a storehouse? Also, how may a person's body keep well when it becomes overfed or crammed with foodless things? Now, it is amazing at the things that we do eat and uh, the things that do have no food value at all. Folks, please watch what you eat. Eat good, 
fruits and vegetables. Drink lots of clean water. Since your body is 75% water and your brain is 85% water, I, I heard a doctor say that the other day. That's why I'm saying that. So I'm not near uh, as good in those areas as a doctor. I've studied some of those things, but I don't know them in the detail like they do. But that's what they said. So if our body is that percentage water, and our body and our brain, then we need to replenish ourselves with good, clean water. In fact, I was in a hospital here a while back ministering to a family, and the doctor, as soon as they brought the person in, the first thing they did is stuck an IV in him. I said, how come you put an IV in him even before you checked him? He said, I know he's dehydrated. I said, how do you know that? He said, everybody in America is dehydrated. They drink too much soda pop. He said they drink Cokes and, and all kinds of carbonated uh, drinks, and virtually every human being in America is dehydrated when they come in here. Now, just think, if soft drinks takes more water out of you than it puts in you, instead of drinking four, five, or six, or eight soft drinks a day with all that sugar or that Nutrisweet or whatever in it, you need to be drinking good, clean water. Now then, one does not live on his blood when fasting. Usually, a pound of weight is lost daily after the first few days of fasting. Now, out of the pound of weight, the blood remains in the body to cleanse the organs and all parts of the body. The blood becoming more abundant day by day may gather in the head and sometimes may cause insomnia. Many times, instead of appearing pale in color, you will have more of a pink hue to your complexion. A most perfect blood transfusion is underway to renovate and invigorate the body. Before too much blood is accumulated, nature will take care of it in a natural manner. You will not have to worry about that. The body will take care of itself. Now, during a period of fasting, the vital organs also are greatly relieved of their usual functions and tremendous labor because there are no digestive and associated process to carry on within your physical body. The organs of elimination, especially the kidneys, are relieved of the duty of carrying off the immediate byproducts of food and are free to eliminate more completely the surplus accumulations of the poisons that's in the body. The result is a cleansing of the cells, the tissues and organs of the body, and a Preparation to rebuild with new materials when the stomach is ready to again receive food. Now, much energy is also saved for the good of one's body. These processes taken place with anybody during a consecrated fast have a, reju uh, a rejuvenating and revitalizing effect on the physical body. Now, as a person that really knows a lot about the physical body, you know, they will be the first to tell you it is the quickest method known to produce healing. It is also the quickest way to obtain faith with God because the Word of God tells us that in the spiritual, of course, it is not comparable with divine faith healing. Now, if you don't believe that a fast has power to talk with God, all you've got to do is go to Jonah chapter 3 and start with verse 5 and read through verse 10, 
And you'll see where Jonah had been sent to Nineveh to pronounce a curse upon the place, that God was going to destroy the whole place. And as he went through that place and pronounced that curse upon them, the king called upon a fast. And this fast, he said, nobody, not even animals or human or anything, was to eat food or drink water. They were to put sackcloth on. They were to repent. They were to turn from their evil ways. And they were to ask God to forgive their sin and to not destroy their city. And if you will see there, as they fasted and prayed and didn't drink water, neither them nor their animals, God heard their prayer and changed his mind and did not destroy that city. So I'm telling you that prayer and fasting has great power to move the hand of God. Now then, animals fast frequently for their physical welfare and comfort. They seem to understand more readily than man how to obey the God-given instincts and appetites. When ill, they fast until they get well. But civilized men think it difficult and dangerous. Man is too materialistic and too deficient spiritually. He feels that food is more essential than Christ. Now, instead of being weakened by abstinence from food, it is a common experience that one gains greater strength and energy. Any hunter knows that it is hungry wild animals that are dangerous. The animal that is full, that he is uh, satisfied, uh, and he's full of food, he's, he's not only not dangerous, but he has less strength and energy. Now, I'm telling you that uh, uh, before opening up a beehive to rob them, you're, you must first smoke the bee. Now, this frightens the bee, so they go immediately to their storehouse of honey, and they fill themselves up with honey. When full of honey, they become drunk. They are inactive and will not sting you. Now, that's why the bee veil can be removed and one can do almost whatever he desires with a colony of bees. They can be picked up and handled barehanded. I have seen this happen many times. In fact, you can put them on your bare hands, on your face, and you will never get stung. And the reason is very simple. They become drunk with food. They are saturated with honey and they're in a powerless condition. However, they were not any more powerless than many so-called full-of-food, full-gospel people who have been on a three- or four-meal-a-day stuffing habit so long they hardly know what fasting is all about. Many have never fasted ten days in their entire life. Some are literally powerless with Jesus Christ when it comes to getting prayers through to him, getting people healed and souls converted, these are people that have absolutely become food drunkards everywhere. Now, most adults that I know eat at least one meal a day too much. Now, the older a person becomes, the less food is required and the more often he should fast. Now, no one gets too old too fast. The study of ancient, ancient 
Modern and Bible history reveals that the simpler the life led, the more abstinence the living, and the more the people fasted, the healthier they were and the longer they lived. Now, the foregoing should convince one that the missing of a few meals will have no serious adverse effects upon you. Yet many thousands will decline further and further in ill health just for the pleasure of overeating. Worse still, they continue in their powerless condition spiritually when they have within their fingertips the secret of power. I'm telling you that the more one practices fasting, the easier it becomes. Many are learning how to fast. Many times one will realize more spiritual benefits from succeeding fast than from the first experience because of the peculiar feeling during the first fast with which he is unfamiliar. Quite frequently, during a fast, the fever will show itself up while the poisons are in process of rapidly being oxidized from within the body. Headaches, dizziness, weakness, and nausea are only natural results of a condition that heretofore has been suppressed through the regularity of eating and overeating. By disengaging the energies and the blood from taking on food and the fresh poisons from eating, they are free to load up on toxins and floating food particles. The blood becomes like a sewer with its load of putrefaction and the reaction shows up in some symptoms previously mentioned. This goes on for days, and finally the blood, having cleansed the temple of the Holy Spirit from the food rubbish, improves the circulation to such an extent that these conditions leave, and the person usually feels better than he did while eating. There is also the spiritual cleansing along with the physical cleansing. Sometimes, one is inclined to vomit while fasting. If this should occur, he should drink plenty of water. Hot water is preferred, or warm water. It is easier to vomit with a stomach full of liquid than with an empty one. If necessary, flavor the water with several drops only of honey, lemon, or orange juice when vomiting persists. Now then, it may even be necessary for you to take enemas. They're beneficial in nearly any difficulty that may arise while fasting. They will help you to keep the stomach clean and will aid in overcoming weakness. Too many should not be taken. Also, you can drink watermelon juice. This will also help cleanse and make your body slick and make the toxins and the poisons pass from your body. Often one feels cold while fasting, especially on the hands and feet. But aside from the extremities, this is usually a false feeling. The thermometer usually indicates a normal temperature. Nevertheless, one should dress correctly. Sometimes the blood pressure will either rise or drop below the average when fasting. One can stand a lower pressure when fasting than at other times. Hot or warm baths will raise the pressure, and cool or cold baths and plenty of rest will lower a high pressure. A person should have plenty of rest while fasting, but he may not always feel like resting. On the other hand, one may want to sleep most of the time. 
If the retention of the urine or diarrhea is experienced, the drinking of warm water and enemas will aid you. Diarrhea should be welcome. Now, this was a strange thing that occurred to me. I didn't understand that on my first extended fast, but I found out that's just the way your body works. It is a sign that the house cleaning process is needed. Usually one will experience constipation instead of diarrhea on account of the filth and decayed particles collecting in the form of clinkers like those in the grate of a stove. Morbid fetal poisons are sometimes difficult to eliminate. Take a deep, full enema once in a while to flush yourself out or cleanse yourself. Now, fainting tendencies are overcome by getting out of bed slowly and by moving around and exercising mildly. One may get his circulation started gradually so that as he moves around, he will begin to feel better and stronger and can then proceed on to his duties. Now, there are a few other conditions that may arise when fasting, but in most cases they are psychological, usually deep breathing of fresh air, drinking plenty of pure water, uh, will take care of this. And all the getting of plenty of rest, praying and believing God will usually overcome these difficulties. Give us a call, 940-242-2106. Also, you can get to us on the web at www.tlsm.org. We'd also like to invite you to our church, the Living Savior Church at 10921 Shady Trail in North Dallas. We start at 2 p.m. every Sunday afternoon. Also, like to invite you to our healing school. We have a healing school the second Saturday of every month at the Believers Worship Center at 737 Treadwell Drive in Hearst, Texas. We start at 1 p.m. the second Saturday of every month at 1 p.m. Come expecting a miracle from the Lord. Praise the Lord Jesus. This is Thurman Scrivener with the Living Savior Ministries today. Let's come to the King. Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we worship you and praise you and thank you for your word, which teaches us all these wonderful things about what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to do them. Now, Lord, if we're studying about eating and fasting, this week we praise you and thank you for your word and the many things you had to say about fasting and the fast that were called and what they did and what they will do if we will adhere to your instructions. Now, Father, as the word goes out today, I ask you to reveal it to us that we might be about your business in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen. Now, I'm going to read a scripture to you out of Joel 5. It says, Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast and call a solemn assembly, gather the people. Now, this scripture predicts fasting in the time in which we now live. Christ's people should rejoice and be happy to go into the prophet's length fast and prepare for his coming. We will not fast like the Pharisees did to bring pressure to bear on God for self-righteous merit and works. We fast in humbleness, yieldedness, and deep consecration. Now, good news is in the sound of the Spirit. The bridegroom is nearly ready to come forth. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The second part of John the Baptist's message is sounding. 
It was the preparation of the saints through fasting and prayer. Prepare, make straight, get ready, make holy. John had a strong message. If Jesus is coming soon, and all dedicated Christians believe that he is, then there is a strong message for us now. Yes, it should be much stronger than usual. We want our Lord Jesus to have the very best. He is worthy of a clean, righteous, holy, and spotless bride. Sanctified fasting will do the job most effectively. If ever a people needed to fast and pray, it is today. Never has the need been more urgent than it is right now. Now, we make it possible for the revival within our heart to overflow to others so that a great revival is in the making. When food, when we abstain from food, whenever we begin to abstain from food, a spiritual transformation begins to take place in us. Now, the precious Holy Spirit delights in having a clean, holy temple to abide in. Now, can you imagine abiding in a house that's filthy? In fact, I went into a home the other night that was so dirty, I could not believe I could, how dirty it was. I couldn't wait to get out of that place. I have never seen a house that dirty in my life. So I think about that house, and I think about our houses, the temple of the Holy Spirit. If we've got it all junked up with all kinds of toxins, I can imagine what our Lord, the Holy Spirit, must feel like abiding within this temple with all the trash that we put in it. Now, fasting will cleanse the body and make it holy. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, that's in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. And in 1 Corinthians 6, 13, he said, Meats for the belly, and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy it and them. Now, it requires one half of your blood to digest, assimilate, and carry nourishment to the various parts of the body, and to eliminate the waste after one meal is eaten. Many times, the body does not require food, and consequently, the energy that is used in pushing the food laboriously through the 27 to 30 feet of canal only further weakens the constitution, and rather than an increase in one's energy, there is only a decrease. We are, therefore, less efficient for our master's service. We are not only short in physical strength and service, but we also unknowingly are stuffing God right out of our lives. Then we wonder why Jesus is not healing our bodies, getting souls saved, and answering our prayers as he formerly has done. It never occurs to us how tremendous is the quantity of food that is eaten until we fast for a period of time. In a 30 or 40 day period of time, the normal human being will consume approximately his own weight in food. Think of all of the energy that is required to utilize this enormous amount of fuel into nourishment. Many a person 
is using just as much and even more energy to convert the food to energy as is required to operate on. This is why so many individuals are weak and sickly much of the time. One can be starving on a full stomach and not realize it. Medical people will usually agree that there are three things for a sick person to do in order to get well. Number one, you have to purify the bloodstream. Number two, you have to perfect the circulation to all parts of the body. And number three, you have to conserve energy. Fasting will positively do all three of these in the shortest time possible. It will do this more completely than any other method known. It's amazing what God can do when you fast. You know, there's many other addiction bondages that we are hung up on. And as you can see today, some of those things are alcohol, narcotics, tobacco, and many other type of bondages. You know, these things will cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrines. And I'm telling you, you are to avoid these things. Uh, It's just amazing that what we should do and what we don't do and how we are such stuffed-out Christians. Now, fasting and prayer melts the Lord's people together into the unity and harmony of the Spirit more effectively than any other method I know about. Consecrated fasting sees no discard in the body of Christ. Denominations will not become a barrier. The body of Christ is seen above race, nation, color, and creed. There is no prejudice whatsoever. There are no divisions. Fasting frees from selfishness, shame, and shallowness. The grip of the natural is released so the spiritual can be attained. The double power of fasting will break all addiction habits, whether that of food or that of a poisonous habit. Without fasting, the average person, consciously or unconsciously, makes his belly his God. This, in turn, leads one into such deception and spiritual stupidity. False teachers develop, and false doctrine is the result among the Lord's people that are weak. Paul warns us to mark them and avoid them. He then tells why this happens. They serve their own belly. They do not serve Jesus Christ, and they cannot live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Now, strange as it may seem, all addiction bondage originates from plant vegetation grown products. Whether they be beneficent or poisonous, they are addiction ingredients. Food addiction is as bad as narcotics or alcohol addiction as far as lust is concerned in the eyes of God. Either one of the lust is hated by God. Now, these tobaccos, marijuanas, or food ingredients, addictions may, believe it or not, may be abolished with only a three- or four-day fast. Hunger for these things, for all of these things, will positively leave if you will go on a fast for just a few days. 
There are people who have never fasted four or five days in their lifetime, much less 10 or 20 days, who will condemn this very word that I'm giving you. But the reason is very simple. They condemn things that they know nothing about to excuse and justify their failures. They have made their belly their own God. Their ears turn red. They puff and pant. They squirm and twist. But for all this, they willfully and ignorantly continue to turn deaf ears to the plain and simple teachings of the Bible. They stuff and stuff. They cram and cram. They belch and sneeze. They pet and pamper their stomachs. They cry all out kinds of seltzers and bromos and alka-seltzers and all those other drugs, and finally, unwillingly, they enter the funeral parlor. When that happens, it's all over. If we are born again, we belong to Jesus. His church is the only church. One of the main reasons there are so many denominations and sects is because there is so little fasting. Fasting breaks down barriers. It banishes discords and all kinds of doctrinal issues. I'm telling you, the thing is that all of us need to learn how to fast and pray more in the church today. Now, in the church, you need to mark and avoid them that cause divisions and offenses. Do you sow discord among the Lord's people? Do you offend your brother or sister? Are you talking and gabbing about your neighbors? Do you exaggerate the truth and tell little white lies? Do you judge and condemn others? Do you undermine your neighbor? Are you jealous of those younger or older of yourselves? Do you argue about the church, about the Bible, or about friends? Do you boast? Do you slander? Are you helping or being a blessing instead of reproach? Are you an asset to the Lord and His kingdom, to your fellow men? When was the last time you put Matthew 9:15 into ap- ac- action? When did you have your last refilling? Are you long-suffering with your fellow man? The reason for these questions is to check the inventory of your life. Fasting and prayer gives the favorable answer to all of them and aids in bringing about body-felt as well as heartfelt salvation. So whatever you need to do, bring glory to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who died for you and me on the cross. He suffered He was in pain, he wept, he hungered, he was wounded, he was beaten, he was spit on, and he was tempted, and he fasted 40 days, and he did it all for you and me.